The Apostle Paul is a central figure in the New Testament. We've been in a series on the book of Acts for a specific purpose. Acts is the picture of God starting his church. This is where we see the church begin to grow. And what we'll see in the book of Acts is that Paul's ministry was also an example of conversion power. That Paul himself was not living for God when this whole thing began. In fact, Paul himself, he put Christians to death. And Paul himself was a complete opposite uh, uh, adjective or aggravator, excuse me, to the gospel. Paul himself literally harassed Christians. And then one day, in fact, his name was actually not Paul, it was Saul. And in fact, one day he had an encounter on a Damascus road. And in that encounter, he not only got a brand new name, he got a new purpose in life. And in that encounter, he experienced Jesus. And in that encounter, he was then commissioned to go and not just uh, be a, uh, a passive believer, but he was commissioned to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember, all of us have a conversion story. Paul had one, Marty has one, and you have one. Don't ever think to yourself that my story, man, it was pretty good before Jesus came along. Listen, every one of us are in desperate need of a savior. No one of us by ourselves could do this on our own. God himself provided for you and for me a savior who redeemed us because of his love for us. And so our goal today is to kind of look at the story of Paul. And look at his journey. We see this in Acts 25 and 26. We'll be in 26 today. But I want to give you the assignment to go home today and read 25. Acts 25 by yourself and read Acts 26 as well. Because there's so much going on in here. In fact, we're going to pick up the Apostle Paul. He's standing in front of a man named Agrippa, King Agrippa. And, and, and Agrippa comes on the scene because he's invited in by a guy named uh, Festus. Now, the guy before Festus, his name was Felix. So we got Felix. Everybody say Felix. Everybody say Festus. Sounds like two guys off the show, Bonanza. Anybody watched Bonanza before? These are actually Romans, though. This is not Bonanza. But this is the two factors. And then Agrippa comes in. And Agrippa was the head of all this. And he was kind of like the main guy. He's the king. And he comes on the scene. And, and, and Festus and Felix, they were kind of perplexed by Paul's imprisonment. But now Agrippa comes in and so they, hey, hey, Agrippa, can you rule on this? Talk to us about this man named Paul. So now Paul himself is standing before a guy named Agrippa. Now here's something you have to know, and don't forget this. I'll come back in just a second to it. Agrippa is living in an incestuous relationship with his sister, Bernice. Now don't forget that because this makes more sense at the end. But here we have a king who is in essence living a openly sexual life with his sister. And this king is revered by Felix and Festus. He is revered by them because of his knowledge of history and the laws and, and Roman culture and even Jewish stuff. And he's revered by them. And he comes in the conversation today, and we'll see it here in just a second. Now go to Acts 26, verse 13. While you're turning there, it is clear today in this conversation that one of the things we got to be reminded of on a regular basis is that within the scripture, repentance is never measured by sorrow. It's not measured by how sorry you are. In fact, some people in their Christian life, they become professional apologizers. 
They're always at the altar. Oh, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. What you're going to find today is that in the scripture, repentance is measured not by sorrow, but by walking out in obedience to what God has said to do. So really, the repentant life is not a sorrowful life. The repentant life is an obedient life. And, and it's not about how much you sob, and there's nothing wrong with sobbing. It's not about how much you uh, verbalize your regret, and that's fine too. None of that is, is being made fun of or light of. It's just simply saying that doesn't measure a repentant heart. A repentant heart is measured not by what you say, but by how you go forward and live. And Paul gives us this picture Acts 26, 13, here we go. I'm picking it up right in the middle. He's now before King Agrippa. And this is why you got to go back today and read Acts 25 at your, at your house in the first part of 26. But for time's sake, here we are in verse 13. At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven. This is Paul on the road to Damascus. Brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goat. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Rise to your feet and stand. I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. He said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I will now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness and to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now watch this, hold, hold just a second here. If you go back later to Acts chapter two, this is almost the same sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Same conversation, repent, repent, turn from this perverse world, turn from darkness, turn to light, turn from lies, turn to truth, turn from this, turn to Jesus. It's the same conversation. Verse 16, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Think about that line. If, if you have a Bible and you don't mind to underline, I would underline that in your scripture text today. Verse 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. It's a powerful line. But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, same conversation, and turn to God and do the works befitting, do the works befitting what? Repentance. So repentance brings with it what? Works, obedience, actions. 
For these reasons, the Jews seize me in an attempt to, in the temple to kill me. Therefore, I have obtained great help from God to this day. I stand witness both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and the Moses that would come. Verse 23, that Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim the light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. We'll stop here for time's sake. We'll come back in just a second to verse 24. Paul's defense of his life, the guy who used to persecute Christians, the guy who used to imprison them, who had letters to go and arrest them, is now he himself standing before government officials pleading his case. He is now under persecution for the same thing he used to persecute believers for. Here's a second thought. When you encounter Jesus Christ, you have a story. I love this in John chapter 9. There's a, there's, there's a long chapter there on a, on a blind guy that Jesus heals. Uh, you can check it out later on. And what, what's so intriguing about this is, is the blind guy's healed, and, and he doesn't know, when he reaches out for help, he doesn't know who's going to heal him. He can't see anybody. He's blind. But he's touched and he's healed. And then because he's healed, the Pharisees start going to this big debate about who did the healing. And they begin to ask the blind guy. In fact, they go and ask the blind guy's parents. They kind of say to the parents, are you sure your son was blind to begin with? They're insulting this person's life. And they're asking the mom and dad, are you sure this is your son? And are you sure he was blind? And what I love about the blind guy is he keeps coming back and saying, I'm not sure who the guy was. I don't know if he was a good guy or a bad guy. All I know is I once was blind and now I see. It doesn't take a theologian to have a testimony. Just simply someone who realizes that I once was blind and now I see. I've been brought from death to light, from darkness to light. I have a brand new hope because of Jesus Christ. I don't know everything. I can't quote everything. I haven't read the entire Bible yet? Listen, that's all fine. All you have to know is I once was blind and now I can see. Is there anybody here today who can say that you once was blind and that now you see? Another story in the scripture, and it ties us back to our commissioning. See, once you have an encounter and once you have a transformation, now you start your commissioning. You've heard this story of the woman at the well. She encounters Jesus Christ at a well. They have a conversation about water and about worship and lots of stuff. The disciples have all gone to Chick-fil-A for lunch, and they're back there having a conversation. And then she is so transformed. What does she do? She takes off and runs to the village. And the Bible says that because of her, many believed and what happened was simply this. This is John chapter 4. She goes to the village and she simply says, hey, come and see the guy who told me everything about my life. Once you've had a transformation, once you've experienced Jesus Christ, you are now part of the Great Commission. And your simple assignment is to simply say, come and see the guy that changed everything. I don't know everything. I don't have every answer. But I know this. He transformed transform my life. Is there anybody here today who can say that you've met the man Jesus and 
you want people to come and see what you've experienced, that you found hope, you found life, you found peace, you found grace, you found mercy, you found love, you found truth in the person of Jesus Christ. And now you and I are positioned like never before to go and say, come and see the man. You have a story, you have a testimony. See, the early church began to blossom and grow, not because of great revival services or great Sunday experiences. They began to grow because people just like you and just like me would go into the marketplace, go into the communities, stand before government officials and talk about this man, Jesus. I know that you look at me often and think to yourself, man, he should do a better job preaching the gospel. And what you got to realize is that I have a role to play, certainly, and I do, but you have a role to play too, because the gospel should be preached every day, everywhere, every second, and I can't do that. I'm bigger than one person, but I'm not as many as you today, and I need you to help me spread the good news. When you walk into the marketplace, when you walk into the highways, the byways, when you go into the, to, to, to the grocery store, you go into school this week or whatever you have on the plans for schedule for the community or family, whatever it might be, when you walk in and say, have I ever mentioned to you how much my life transformed once I met Jesus Christ? They, they have this sense that I'm going to do that because I'm the professional gospel preacher, teacher dude. But when you start sharing your faith, it wasn't Peter's sermon alone. It was when the church began to share its faith. It's all of us together. That's how God grew his church, and that's how God will grow his church once again. You have a story that can transform someone's life. You heard it last week in the message. You heard it said this way. If you claim to be saved, justified, redeemed, sanctified because of Jesus Christ, then you are called to be a light to others. If you've been set free from sin, from brokenness, from difficulty, from pain, from addiction, from sorrow, from the potential of hell, if you've been delivered from that, then you have a call to spread the good news. If the earth is dark, turn on the light. One more time. If the earth is dark, turn on the light. You are the salt. You are the light. You are the salt. You are the light. Let's preserve. Let's illuminate. Jesus has come into your life and he has commissioned you to go and make the disciples. And commission me. We're in this together. When you look at the story of Paul, it all begins to unfold for us because Paul's life is a great picture of a authority transformation. Paul himself was once governed by earthly authority, but now he's governed by a heavenly authority. He said to Agrippa, he said, Agrippa, I did not disobey what I was told from heaven. I did what I was told to do. Now think about that line right there. What a powerful statement for a devoted follower of Christ to simply say, I am doing what Jesus has told me to do. As a pastor, I've heard many people communicate, well, God told me to do this. And I sit back and go, huh? But I can tell you one thing he's told all of us to do. One thing all of us have been commissioned to do is go and talk about the man that we met on the Damascus Road. Everybody here today has a Damascus story. Again, don't minimize how much you need a Savior. 
Don't ever tell yourself you weren't quite that bad because everybody here, beginning with me, needed a Savior. And someone even today still needs that Savior. Today is your day of transformation. Let's go back to Acts 26, verse 24, and let's land the plane here. It says, now, as thus he made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. He's saying, Paul, you have gone mad after Paul shared his testimony. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. Watch that wording there, truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. What's he know? He knows about the prophets. He knows about the messianic hope that had been preached for literally thousands of years. He knows about this commitment that's been pushed to this church culture. He knows about the person, Jesus Christ, and the promised Messiah. He says, for I'm convinced that none of these things escape his attention since this thing was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, he says, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe the prophets. And then King Agrippa said this way, he said, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. And Paul said, I would to God that only you, but also all those who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Paul's prayer was simple, that everybody who heard his message would be transformed like he had been. Here's a couple of thoughts out of this text, and we'll close up today in this part of the message. First of all, the gospel, while it may be known, it can be rejected by a hardened heart. A hardened heart does not receive the seed of the gospel. And that's why we got to pray more. For someone today in this house or someone in life, you've heard the same thing over and again. I would also submit to you this, that maybe today you have a hardened heart toward other things in the message of Christ, that you've heard things preached in church for years that you've simply refused to do. And now every time you hear it, you look at the preacher like, is he done yet? Because your heart's hardened. A hardened heart doesn't need to hear more words. A hardened heart is restored on our knees in prayer. And that's why we have a prayer service at Calvary every week. Because prayer service is the time that we encounter the spiritual realm and the spiritual warfare. And we go after this because, listen to me, in our arsenal, we do not have what we need to attack the gates of hell. We don't have that power in us, but in his spirit, we have that authority. And as we intercede and we pray and go into the supernatural realm of prayer, we begin to see God's spirit begin to work. And that's why prayer is such a difference maker. A praying church is a place that transforms lives. Calvary, let's be a praying house. Let's believe God to use our prayers and to penetrate into darkness and bring hope and life to people that are living today in dark places. We got to pray. When you face that stronghold, when you face that, that wall, don't keep talking. Start praying. Hit your knees and intercede. People who have a hardened heart don't need more seed thrown at them. You start digging in the supernatural. The second thought about this that we see that's important in this reflection on this text is simply this, that in a sinful world, the gospel is madness. It's madness. 
When Agrippa shows up, Festus is like, hey, would you please comment on this? I, I value, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I value your input. You're a knowledgeable man. He calls Paul mad, but looks at the guy who's sleeping with his sister and says, you can help the conversation. Make an observation today that people that will call you mad for believing the gospel, they will condemn and criticize the gospel and they will condone things that are completely an abomination to God. You know why? Because when the gospel is rejected, sin is normal. Once you leave God's plan, there is no stopping point. Nothing is off limits now. And I could take you through this and break this down. Once you leave God's plan for anything in the scripture, once you leave what God has said and you go to what man is now saying, there is no stopping anywhere. Anything is now permissible. And that's what you see here. A guy who is sleeping with his sister is now an authority on the gospel. The Romans had three main goals in life, political power, money, and pleasure. Think of those three things. Are those still three big things today? Political power, money, and pleasure. And no matter what Felix believed or what Agrippa might have known, they weren't going to compromise those three things for the sake of aligning with Paul. On the other hand, the apostle Paul had traded his pleasure for persecution. Paul had traded his freedom for the great commission. And Paul had swapped everything out and prepared to give his own life for the cause of Jesus Christ. You realize today that you have a story. You realize that you play a part in the conversation you realize that we live in a world today that is calling the gospel madness, yet condones horrific things that are an abomination to God. And we sit in the balance. And that's why today we need salt and we need light. I'm gonna ask you to go out and attack people. That's the worst thing you can do. I'm asking you to go and preserve and illuminate. I'm asking you to walk out and let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I'm asking you to simply go and preserve a decaying society by speaking truth, speaking grace, speaking love, speaking the word. And never forget that you, my friend, you have a testimony. If you leave nothing else today, leave with a conviction that you have a story. Don't ever tell yourself you were somewhat good before you met Jesus Christ. Don't ever tell yourself, I mean, I was born in a preacher's home. I, I, I've never been outside the church. I've, I've never had a point that I wasn't somewhere close to a roof line of a house of God. But I needed a savior. I needed forgiven. I needed a redeemer. I needed hope. Because I wasn't like Jesus. I was born with a sin nature, born in a sinful world. But thanks be to God who set me free. Thanks be to God for all he's done. Thanks be to God. 
And today, whether you were born in the house of God, whether you were found Jesus behind prison bars, it doesn't matter. You equally needed a savior.